Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as usual, is my co-host, Coles. How you doing this evening, my friend? Doing really good on a late night. Yes, we're burning the midnight oil to get this episode out in the morning, but I think it's going to be worth it for the people. We have a pretty straightforward format here on FF Plus. If this is your first time, we will talk about what we liked about a movie, we'll talk about what we didn't like, and we will make a recommendation for you about whether we think it's worth spending your time and money on. That's it. Simple, short, and spoiler-free. First up, we're going to talk about a movie called Encounter that mashes several different genres together in an interesting way. It stars Riz Ahmed, Octavia Spencer, Janina Gavankar, Rory Cochran, Lucien River Chauhan, and Adida Gedada. It is directed by Michael Pierce, and it is written by Michael Pierce and Joe Barton. What's it about? A Marine Corps veteran takes his kids on the run from the military as he tries to protect them from the threat of an alien invasion. So, Kales, I like Michael Pierce's previous film. It's called Beast, and it was actually a movie that I, I believe it's the movie where I discovered Jesse Buckley, who has become sort of a cult indie star. Uh, you, you may never have seen her or known you've seen her, but Jesse Buckley is incredible. And Michael Pierce's movie was a big reason for that, and I really enjoyed it. He has a really crisp indie style to his filmmaking. And so this really intrigued me, especially because of Riz Ahmed and the whole alien invasion angle. It sounded kind of like uh, somewhat of a take, almost like a midnight special kind of a format here. And, and I felt that a lot while watching it. So what did you like about this one? This film surprises you. In the beginning, you're treated to what you think is going to be a typical alien invasion story. And we see those a lot. And it was bringing to mind to me Invasion of the Body Snatchers in the beginning. But over the course of the film, the film turns into something different, turns into a whole different kind of horrifying beast. And it deals with a subject of mental health in a respectful and impactful way. Oftentimes, you know, we, we talk about how mental health now is very important. You know, we're seeing sports, athletes, entertainers talk about, you know, depression, anxiety, stress, and these conversations about how do we how do we move through this chaotic world, you know, without losing our minds. And many times people you still do not understand that mental health is not something that you can really control. Like you can't control the electrical signals in your brain, you know, that are causing you to see hallucinations or to believe things are there, but they're not there. Or to believe that something is coming after you or making you afraid of outside or making you paranoid. And this film, it deals with that in the, in the form of Riz Ahmed's character. And once again, Riz Ahmed, if anyone has not seen Sound of Metal, go see that film so you can understand how talented and amazing this guy is. But, and then Venom. Venom then, too. Oh, oh, oh no, <laughs> don't see Venom. Don't see Venom. Because it's going to immediately get rid of the great taste you have in your mouth from Sound of Metal. And it's going to make you be like, wait a minute, is this the same guy? Or does he have a twin brother? But, <laughs> but back to the film. Riz Ahmed's character, he's a guy that is a military veteran. And throughout the film, we get these little nuggets of who he really is. Like, at first, he seems like this guy who's a survivalist, like a doomsday prepper. A guy who is trying to... He's on a rescue mission, and he wants to take his kids with him and save them. But over time, we start to 
peel back his layers and we understand that this is a guy who is going through something. He he has problems of his own that he hasn't really fully dealt with. And it's putting not just only him, but his family and a lot of other people in danger. And through this film, we see that over time, these events, it starts to build up. It's like builds up to a climax. And you're kind of you're kind of hoping that things don't turn out the way you think it's going to turn out because his character he's not a bad guy. The actions that he takes are very presumptuous and they're very kind of oh my oh my goodness like why is he doing that? But he's doing it for reasons that he thinks is good in his head. And he's doing it because he loves his kids and he loves his family and also these kids. Um, I. I can see that they're not brothers, related brothers in real life, but the way that they carry on and perform together, it almost feels like that they were brothers. And, you know, oftentimes when you have little kids in films like this, it's very easy for them to settle into kind of tropes and to be just the, the kids who are just crying or to be just sitting there and, you know, not giving much lines, but just like window dressing in the background. But these kids add to Ahmed's character and they make you understand you know, how much this guy really thinks what he's doing is right. And it's sad to see because you can, like, step back and see that, oh, my God, this guy is putting himself in a lot of harm. But this film, it doesn't ask you to take one side over another. It's asking you to see a situation and understand it and and really come to your own conclusions about how we can deal with this. We sell this in real life or how we can deal with people who don't understand that they are a danger to other people and to themselves. And I really like that. And mm-hmm. it's not a preachy film. It it actually is more like a suspenseful thriller with a lot of surprising moments. And it still can double as a little bit of a alien invasion film if you kind of want to think of it that way. So it blends these genres together. And I found it compelling to watch. Now, is it the best thing you're ever going to see this year? No, but... There's nothing wrong with being a good film, and I really love the way that Pierce directs this film. I like his, I like the choices he made with the cinematography. I like the way that he kind of edited this. Like the first half is blazing, like it just gets off to a, a great and blazing start. Second half it kind of teeters off a little bit, and I'll get into it in the dislikes. But I was interested, and I was compelled the whole time, and I was wondering to see how this was going to resolve. I feel a lot better than 70% of what you're going to get on a streaming subscription. And this is a Amazon original film. And I think that this is a step in the right direction for them. Yeah, I would agree with almost everything you said. I mean, I love the direction. I, as I called it crisp earlier, I think the cinematic style is very visually interesting without having to have a big budget. It's not got that. And you don't need that to be able to provoke suspense and an intensity and that's aided of course a mixture of the direction and the soundtrack the score rather which which i thought was really good it did a lot to kind of ramp up the energy in the film at various points which was my favorite parts of the movie the thriller feel when it had that riz ahmed of course brings it and hammers this home he walks this very thin line in this character that you're absolutely empathetic for, but also at times you have to call him kind of to the carpet and and you have to look at him and say, no, that's not how you treat your kids and that's not okay. And you start to slowly kind of understand what is happening to him 
as he's trying to desperately save his kids from this alien invasion that is happening. And of course, I love that aspect of it, Kalas. It's got the classic idea of invasion of the body snatchers, right? Where the aliens in question here have taken over people, but you don't see them. So it's very hard to know whether or not someone is infected because they act kind of human and mostly normal. And that makes for a just always intriguing story because you don't know who the bad guys are. You don't know who's infected or not. It's always going to be interesting if you can shoot that in a good way. And I think Pierce does that. I love the relationship between the kids, specifically. Well, the kids and the the kids, the kids and Riz Ahmed together, the parent son relationship, and the idea of him being gone uh, in the Marines for so long, him having been on these deployments, and so he hasn't been able to connect with them, or he hasn't been as present as they wish he would be. Their sadness about that that resonated with me being someone who was in the military for so long and who went on so many deployments. I lived for years away from my kids, aside from visits, a couple of years, essentially. And, and it is a tremendous toll on a parent. And you'll do crazy things to get a chance to spend more time with your kids, right? And so I totally bought every bit of that. But I also love the kids' relationship with each other. The brothers themselves, I just, it felt to me like they were natural brothers. They did not feel like they were acting. It felt like they truly were from the same family. You could, I would have believed it if I looked in the credits and saw their last names were the same. So I, I would give that as a big, big plus to the movie as well. And ultimately, I like the resolution to the story. Like you said, it is pretty powerful and emotional. And, and I think it really does a good job of wrapping up this tale even if like you i find some frustrations and faults kind of in the middle of it so i guess we can move to that uh what was it that didn't work for you as well in this one when i saw the name of octavia spencer on the poster of this film i thought oh yes <laughs> what <laughs> sorry i'm just like i don't understand why do you waste her go ahead I thought that she was going to be a crucial part, an integral part of the story. I thought that she was going to have more to do except being a mouthpiece to what Riz Ahmed's character is. Most of the time in the film, when we get to see her, she's just there spilling details. You have an Academy Award winning actress like I tell you, Spencer. You got to give her more than this. This is a woman who is on the front page of your poster, and she has a lot of clout. It's not like that she's a somebody who was born yesterday i mean this is octavia spencer and i wish that she had more to do in this and it's disappointing that she is considered kind of mute in this film also this film it's almost like a field of landmines like think about this um metaphor like you're walking through a field of landmines and you almost stepped on one and it blows up and it's like scary but it's exciting at the same time this film is like a field of landmines there are a lot of exciting points that really draw you in and then other times you're just walking through an empty field and nothing's happening and you're kind of waiting for the next big thing to come up on the screen and it's not really a terrible fault of the film it still is mostly entertaining for what it does but there are a bit of potholes in it in here that kind of make you wish that it kind of had me looking away from the screen for a little bit and it lost my attention and with Riz Ahmed's character, 
you don't really get that storytelling to where you can understand a character just by things that are going on in the environment, just little like mannerisms and just little things that you can catch on to by watching an actor perform. No, most of the time you're understanding who this guy is by other characters telling you pieces of his life story. And it felt a little bit lazy in the writing department. That's mostly the errors that I found. Yeah. So it is definitely Octavia Spencer who is a weak point and not her per se her, but her character, her inclusion in the movie at all is pointless. It's a tale of two movies. There's a thriller about a dad who's on the run with his kids because there's an alien invasion and a slow reveal that is happening at a breakneck pace still about commenting while commenting on his mental health and dealing with trauma that he's had in his life previously. And then there's this Octavia Spencer part that comes in and slows the plot down and makes her into this person who's going kind of after him to help bring him in because the authorities are trying to, you know, find him. And so she's, I think she's his his parole officer or something. I can't even remember exactly what her character is, but she knows him. She's close to him and he trusts her. And it just bogs the movie down in a way that I can understand where they were going with wanting to establish someone outside of Riz Ahmed's character that could, to use the word again, literally speak to his character, right? And kind of prop him up or make you as an audience member kind of have more connection to what he says he is and who he says he is and what he's doing and why he's doing it and all this but it just it doesn't work it's boring she's boring everything without her is pretty high paced pretty engaging and compelling and then it's kind of wasted with her and that was really the bummer for me you know it, it dropped it I thought we were looking at you know a really strong strong indie movie and that portion of it just didn't work at all for me and so, you know, other than that, I really liked it. I didn't, that was my main criticism of it altogether. And it's just a kind of a bummer that it wasn't able to, you know, get that part out of it or do something more energetic with that part. I just, she's not that actress. You know what I mean? Like she's not the intensity suspense type of actress, in my opinion. I haven't seen her horror movie. I think it was called Ma or something so maybe she's good in it i don't know maybe she can handle it but it, it didn't work out here for whatever reason that being said uh it will be in theaters limited on december the 3rd and then it will be streaming on amazon prime video on december the 10th so where do you fall when it comes to recommendation i'm feeling it definitely go to a theater and check it out i mean we have to support these independent film directors you know, especially when they're making these new projects that are able to get these theatrical releases. I mean, this could have been a film that easily could have been dropped on Amazon and that could have been it. So if it's in a theater, go check it out. It'll be worth your time. Yeah, I actually would say go see it in a theater as well. If you're into checking, if you're if you're open to it. I mean, listen, it's December and every week right now you're about to have blockbuster after blockbuster after blockbuster coming out and i understand that and those movies are expensive because you're going to want to see west side story and spider-man and the matrix and you're going to want to see them all in imax 
because they're going to look amazing. Nightmare Alley, Don't Look Up, these movies that Kales and I have both seen this week or whatever, like these are very pretty movies to see in a theater. This movie, it looks pretty good for an indie movie, but if you're strapped for cash, you're not going to miss out by not seeing it in a theater. I agree with Kales, though. It's worth seeing in a theater. But definitely, definitely put this on your radar. Make a note, December 10th. Check this out when it hits Amazon Prime Video. It's a great home streaming movie. It's better than the majority of stuff that's going to drop on Netflix in a 12-month period, okay? So... Highly recommend that, you know, you check it out. Riz Ahmed is phenomenal. I don't even know if I said, I think I completely skipped over this, but he is just phenomenal. Like Riz Ahmed is so great. You talked about Sound of Metal. I joked about Venom, but really everything he's been in, he is just an incredible actor. And this is another performance that he slays it. And so it's worth seeing just for that alone. Our next film is another indie movie called Wolf. It stars George McKay, Lily Rose Depp, Patty Considine, Eileen Walsh, Fionn O'Shea, Lola Pettycrew, and Terry Notary. It is directed and written by Natalie Biancheri. What's it about? Believing he's a wolf trapped in a man's body, Jacob eats, sleeps, and lives like one, much to the shock of his family. When he's sent to a clinic, Jacob and his animal-bound peers are forced to undergo increasingly extreme forms of curative therapies. However, once he meets the mysterious wildcat, their friendship blossoms into an undeniable infatuation, and Jacob must decide whether to renounce his true self or love. Now, before I get into my thoughts on the movie, I had the great opportunity to speak with star actor of this film, George McKay. So here's that interview, and then I'll give you some further thoughts after we're done. Enjoy. Awesome. Hey, Aaron. Hi, good morning. How are you? Hey, good, man. How are you? Very good. Very good. Where are you right now? Are you in the States I'm, or are you? No, I'm in New York. Yeah, yeah. I'm in New York now for the kind of opening of the film set this evening. Awesome. Well, I just wanted to start by asking you this, and I don't want to talk about 1917, but I am going to mention it. A lot of folks know you because of your outstanding work in that Best Picture nominated film. But it got me to thinking when I was looking at your filmography, you know, you've really gravitated towards indie fair and stage theater. And 1917 was sort of an outlier in the blockbuster sense. I just wondered, is that something that you have maybe not had as many opportunities to do when it comes to bigger budget type films? Or are you naturally just drawn to these smaller scale productions kind of like wolf is it's, it's a bit of a mixture to be honest i think my my taste is i love indie cinema and i think the characters that i'm intrigued in in, in playing you know i've been lucky enough to play and also the way in which they're kind of put across like the way in which the stories are told I kind of it's, it happens more in the sort of indie indie world i guess and then that's it and then it's and again I'm, but i'm sure I, i've auditioned for a bunch of big films which i just haven't got so <laughs> you know so it's so, not off the table right like eventually you could see yourself doing some more of that as well I th- it's a, like i sort of i feel so blessed to have sort of any element of choice in my work and to be honest the choice is just about the story and the process as well the process of making a film is almost as big as the story kind of about what the process will teach you so like the process of figuring out how to play a man who is an animal and to do that in my own body or like working with Justin Cazell like Snowtown was the most affected I've ever been in a cinema so the opportunity of working with Justin and the process that he demanded which he sort of set out early on it's the way he wanted to make that character was like 
as big as the reason of the story itself. And in a sense that with, with 1917, I mean, I'd, I'd do anything to sort of work with Sam Mendes full stop, but it was an added thing that it was like, the idea was, is that the part of the process would be like, we're going to tell a film to appear in one shot and therefore we have to choreograph the entire thing beforehand, which means that you will have to have an understanding of the entire workings of the, the crew in a way that you haven't before. And so all of those things, it's about process as much as story, I think. Awesome. That's really cool. So did you know Natalie before this film? Were you familiar with her? How did you get attached to Wolf? So I, the first thing that, that came through was the script. I hadn't seen Natalie's film Nocturnal. It was it was yet to come out, actually. So I so I read this. There was a kind of a the script. I, I got to read the script and there was like a, a document as well that sort of outlined Natalie's vision for it the way in which you wanted to work. And part of that was working with this amazing movement coach called Terry Notary, um, who, I don't know, have you seen a square? You know, oh yeah, that, well, that, I'm that very amazing... familiar with Terry. Terry's oh, amazing. Sorry. He's Rocket in The Planet of the Apes. Yeah, so th- that was always part of it as well, is to, to work with Terry to kind of find the animal side of the character. And then uh, having sort of read that and loving the script, I watched Nocturnal, Natalie's first film, and I just thought it was amazing. And I loved what how she told that story, what she did with it, and thought she just, was like an amazing director. So I, I was, you know, dying to be part of it, having kind of taken in all of that material. Is this a situation where do you usually, do you get a script and you know you're you're reading for the role of Jacob as the wolf or are you just auditioning or reading to kind of be one of the animals in the film and you don't know until you, you know, get later into the process? It, it kind of, it changes with every with every project, like project, the audition process and the, how you read. And But for, for this, I was lucky enough to know um that it was for it was for jacob straight like kind of straight away so yeah it was it was always jacob in mind and the wolf in mind as much as jacob well there's two parts to that performance i really want to talk about and of course it's amazing um it is really a phenomenal performance i think you carry the film in a big way and you're just mesmerizing so thank you for what you gave us there's the vocal part of it that is fascinating to me i was listening to an interview with george clooney just the other day And he mentioned how much actors in general love dialogue and love speaking. Like they want these big bulky speeches and monologues. This is a role that is the exact opposite of that, where you go large parts of this film without speaking at all. And I wondered like, what was that challenge like for you? How was that different? Yeah, Jacob's pretty silent. And so it was, uh, I think with any character, it's a case of sort of building an understanding of them that is kind of personal to you so that you, you know how to be, especially if, if the script isn't articulating your thoughts or articulating your character for you. And the big thing, that was a huge part of it, to be honest. Natalie kind of showed me a number of different references. I mean, we, the, the core was always just him and just the, the kind of what he was going through and the, the backstory and how he was feeling, but then also kind of references as to real people uh, and performances as well, where the, there's the kind of, you feel the kind of inner life burning but there is just no access to it. And we did a lot of work in kind of improvisations as well about kind of figuring out how he put his wall up as well, because he's sort of so protected. And he said, Terry did a lot of work with that in the sort of animal nature of things of kind of, he's so it's kind of very ephemeral, the kind of work that he was doing, but there's this really amazing stuff about, he would talk about front mind, middle mind, back mind, and about when you're sort of like, at the front of your thoughts or sort of trying to put yourself across then when you're sort of observing someone and then when you're absolutely you've got the shutters down in front all kind of without moving back and forth it's a sort of mindset as to like and it's like a mood change I think you know when someone someone says something about your family and suddenly you kind of go I'm not talking to you anymore 
and you you don't have to say anything but someone you feel the temperature in the room change of like you feel when someone's crossed the boundary or when someone's ignited something you you feel the back and forth in people and that was a big part in kind of developing jacob is to sort of be able to go through those levels of his kind of walls and the back and forth because there's no dialogue and i i don't know i i just find that that fascinating so it's sort of you know i didn't i didn't miss the words that's awesome. What about the physical part of it? So obviously Terry Notary, like you said, famous mocap artist as well. And you're not doing that. You don't have diodes all over you, I assume, while you're performing. What was it like training for the physical part of this performance? Because I, I wish I could show you, I, I had it. I may try and pull it up while you're answering the question, but I have a picture of my dog while we were watching you. Right. And because I was watching a screener at home and he's at the screen barking his butt off and he's just he's trying to get to you you're on all fours in this scene and he fully bought into your performance so if that's you know take that as a compliment he thought you were a wolf but what was like it like to i guess train for that especially during a pandemic to be honest the pandemic you know not to sort of like you know piggyback a, a pretty terrible situation but like get the pandemic gave us a lot more time than we initially had and we had this one one-off week with myself natalie and terry to develop the and side of the movement, to kind of just to workshop, what is this wolf? How much are we, because it was all still a bit up in the air as to like, well, do we want him sort of, is it a feeling or is he literally crawling? Or if he is crawling, how do we shoot that? Because are you able to crawl and all that kind of stuff? And we had this week where we found all of this stuff about his movement, his howl, and it was hard, like keeping your back flat and your bum down and your knees tucked, it was really difficult. And you could, I could only do it for like, you know, 10 second bursts or something. And we were going to have a two week break and then begin the production with a three week rehearsal period and, and then filming. And in that two weeks, the pandemic hit and Ireland and, and the UK all got locked down and the film got pushed for three months or something. But over that time, it was kind of like, we always knew that that, that was going to be the first thing that we were doing when we came back. So I was, you know, I was blessed. I just crawled around my, oh, there we are. I think I've, I think I've got it here like was I, I just crawled around my garden a lot crawled around the local park and just because it was like getting fit it's like training for something you know it's uh -huh. like anything the more you do it I think the, the better you get at it <laughs> oh wow that's great that's yeah great. he was fully bought in I mean he wanted to get in there and rub with you I think he was ready to go I wanna, yeah I want to spend time with Gimli <laughs> <laughs> what about the howling so you do some howling in this movie did you have to howl in your apartment or in your house like were you that was the harder thing to practice. <laughs> I remember coming, like coming to Natalie and being like, when we started rehearsals, being like, I haven't done as much work on the howl because it's just a bit awkward at home, you know. But no, but that was like, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it because even that was like a thing of like, okay, cool. So he's howling rather than just a generic howl. Like, what is a howl and what is it to me? And also that thing of like, well, I made the choice that to me, Jacob is a wolf. He is a wolf trapped in, in a human body. And that was the only way to sort of be pure to the character, even if at the end of the day, he might not be a wolf, but he's so, you know, whether it's a commitment or a spiritual connection or whatever it is, that's what he is to him. So that's what I was for him sort of thing. And therefore kind of going, okay, well, what is a howl? Like what do wolves mean when they howl? And again, all the research that you can do is essentially a human interpretation of a wolf's howl, but there is some amazing stuff about kind of who they're calling to. And I kind of cherry picked all the stuff that made sense kind of emotionally and theatrically to Jacob's story and what, you know, the call to someone, the call to your kin, the call to a partner, the call to, to the, you know, a call to, to of connection and kind of came up with it. And then was like, okay, well, if I have got human lungs, why don't I just try and make a sound that 
that speaks to that, whether it's that loneliness or, or a call for help or whatever it is. And then once I'd sort of found that sound in the way that like singers, like great singers, uh, like Jeff Buckley and stuff. I was like, like listen, I used to be a big Jeff Buckley. Well, I'm a big Jeff Buckley fan. And some of his stuff, you're like, he's speaking to something. He's speaking to his soul or my soul, or there's something that he's doing and kind of going, okay, well, so trying to sort of find noises in song that kind of related to the emotional side of things. And then kind of going back to the howl and then just listening to a ton of wolf howls and trying to kind of amalgamate those sounds that I'd found with the very, the, all the very different howls that, that they're, you know, the recordings of, of wolves, you know, howling and kind of trying to find, bring that all together in this sort of perfect, not perfect, but in this mix that, that is Jacob where, cause he is both, you know? Oh, that's great. What about your work with Lily Rose Depp? So there's some scenes in this specifically that feel like a choreographed primal mating dance. What was that like trying to film those? Was that awkward? Was it easy? Like, thanks to Lily Rose, it wasn't. And that was one of the best things about working with Lily is she's, well, she's just wonderful as a person and as an actress. And, and, and the biggest thing was like, she was so committed to what we were doing. Everyone was just throwing themselves at it. And that just gave you this trust with each other and with the project, because yeah, those would have been weird scenes to do if you for any point felt like someone wasn't into it as well, or like second guessing it or ridiculing it. Like, there was only ever a kind of similar pursuit as to like, well, how can we, how can we do this? This is like, I love the idea of this. Like, what is this? And, and so that scene particularly, to be honest, was like one of the biggest things for Lily and I, it was almost like an exercise or a wee journey for, for us to kind of go on to find the choreography of that scene. And we, while we had Terry for the first three weeks of the production in Ireland and for the three week rehearsal process, and we would particularly work on that scene and versions of, you know, all the different elements of it, like the kind of the extremes of like a very primal sort of the, the, the sexual desire or like a kind of platonic desire or an animal desire. And then the levels of those. And then also like how you got that and connection and, oh God, I could speak forever about it. But like that sort of, we used to kind of keep coming back. It was almost like a drill in training, like at a sports drill or something like that. You know, you kind of go, let's keep practicing that set piece because this, we'll find stuff in the practice where we'll we'll go down a road and we'll kind of get to a blockage and that will point us left, right? That put like, you know, that will take us to the next thing. And it kind of unlocked all this, this stuff to become the scene that it was, um, you know, which was a sort of choreographed improvisation in the end. Well, it works great. I mean, it's incredibly effective. Uh, love you guys together in that. What is one thing you learned on set for this film that you're going to take forward with you in the future in your work? In working out the wolf side of the animal side of things before even the wolf is in workshop in that it felt like, what is it to be wild? And what is it to be less human? And we kind of set, set upon this idea of clearing your mind of thought I think that humans, we exist so much in our heads and every desire, instinct, primal, every sort of primal thing that we all have in us because we are all animals is sort of socialized. And it's the head that kind of is the checker for better or for worse kind of goes, no, 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 but this might happen. And it kind of, you start tailoring everything to kind of, you know, your head is in control of everything. And I found that it was the thing that I've learned basically is how much my head kind of, contributes to my day and how amazing it felt to kind of be outside of it sometimes and how clear it was and so sort of quietening down the noise if I can in my head and kind of going off the sort of 
the feelings that that quiet kind of gives you is, is definitely something I'll take away. Awesome. Well, I've got one more and it'll be quick, I think. So on my podcast, Feel and Film, we approach movies from an emotional perspective. We love to talk about like how we react when it comes to our response to a film. So I wanted to ask, do you have any recommendations for us? What's a movie that particularly moves you in an emotional way? One of your favorites? It could be any sort of emotion, but what is something that really makes you feel? Um, got two. One from childhood is The Lion King. Is that? Oh, that's appropriate. Because that, your, your scenes in this literally look like The Lion King. Effects. I think, yeah, I think like, you know, Simba with his, with his dad in, in that. Always as a kid, I was gone. E.T. did it like killed me. But then I guess as a sort of more adult indie film, Blue Valentine was like, I think to witness a love falling apart is devastating. And to see it done like it was in that film is devastating. So maybe Blue Valentine. Great choices. And I love the, the dichotomy there between them as well and the way that they portray different emotions. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. It's yeah, it's so good to speak to you. That's really, really interesting questions, my end as well. So, like, really nice to speak about the film. It's, yeah, it means a lot. Thanks, man. All right, we're back. Well, that was a great interview. I really enjoyed getting a chance to speak with George. It was tough not asking him a bunch of questions about 1917. Lord knows I wanted to, but I had to abstain. When it comes to this movie, I'll say this being able to talk to George about his performance was a highlight because George's performance is the highlight of this movie, Coles. The concept is so cool. It's the setup is really intriguing. It's, you know, this idea of humans that actually think they're animals. I wrote in my letterbox review that this is the type of concept movie. If it had been good, A24 would have bought it. That's this movie's wheelhouse. But A24 didn't buy this. Somebody else did. And I think that says something because it clearly is not that great outside of his performance and outside of Lily Rose Depp's performance as well, which is also really good, I thought, but it just doesn't work for me. It's very methodical and it's quiet. It's got almost got like a Yorgos Lanthimos kind of tone to it where it's dark and ominous, but yet it's got like bouncy, weird, interspersed humor and people acting like parrots, but there's this air of weirdness around it. And it didn't work for me at all. I didn't care for it. I didn't dig it, didn't love it. The performance itself was the highlight. So it was worth watching because of getting to see such a physical acting happen without the use of CGI, like we talked about in the interview. But it's not a movie that I'm going to suggest people necessarily rush out and see. It's in theaters for a limited run starting on December the 3rd. I can't tell you to go see this in a theater in good conscience. But I can tell you that if you're intrigued by the concept, you might find some value in it and it's worth checking out when it comes on to rental. So if you like really strange, again, I go back to like Yorgos Lanthimos and his three, the favorite film. So we're talking like killing of a sacred deer and the crab one. What's the crab one called? I don't know what the crab one's called, but the other one. The lobster. Yeah, I was close. Some animal that's red and has claws. The lobster. 
it's it's got that tone to it, right? If you like those movies, I'd say it's worth giving it a chance. If you love George McKay and you want to see him giving an absolutely full-on performance and giving himself to something physically, mentally, and really getting into something really wild and crazy, then you should absolutely check it out as well. That's it for us on FF+. Next week, we'll be back with several more movies to talk about. We've got about two or three weeks left in the year, and they are filled with bangers, like I was just talking about. So each episode, it feels like we've got something big to talk about that we will have seen. So be sure to tune in for those reviews and find out if those movies are worth your time and money. We hope you found something that piques your interest as always, no matter what, and we would always love to hear what you think. You can find us on Twitter, at Film or at Black Nerd Magic. You can find us on Letterboxd. You can find us in the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group all the time where we chat it up. These links are in the show notes to each and every FF Plus episode. Just click on them and they'll get you in touch with us. We'll be back soon. Until then, keep feeling, Phil. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.